This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to my favorite murder. This is a true crime comedy podcast. That's what it is. That's what we do. We make it for you. Uh huh. And for ourselves. That's right. And that's Karen Kilgara. And that's Georgia Hardstart. And we are ourselves. Look, there's nothing we can do about ourselves. Yeah. It's I just mean, how it is. We're doing our best. We're tightening up our game. That's right. But the game can always be tightened. Sure. That's what life is. Why not strive for something a little bit more? It's like a righty, righty tighty, lesty loosey. Don't do that one. <laughs> You got to you got to write in that shit, <laughs> writing it up, right on up. You don't need to loosen it down. And that's where we're here for. Hello and welcome. Oh, we did that part already. <laughs> Tighten it up. Tighten it up. Right in that shit. <laughs> we're here for a good time, not a long time. Yes. Oh, that's true. I know. Is that from your yearbook? <laughs> it's good. It's real good. Sang your buns. <laughs> Goodbye. Good luck at leg it fucked. Stay real. <laughs> You don't know that one? No. Oh, shit. Irvine must have been crying. Good luck. Get late. Get fucked. Hell yes. dirty. What's up, Irvine 92 (laughs) or whenever? That's about right. 98? I graduated in 98, yeah. Yeah. You know people like who listen to this podcast were born in 98? Isn't that weird? That they have ear holes at work and like we don't have to like censor them? They're... Well, yeah, there's nothing we can do yeah. about their ear holes. Because they're 20. They're underdeveloped. Your hammers and your uh, shoehorns, you know, the things inside your ear holes. Okay. Um, your, your baby teeth. Your little baby teeth that are all up in your face. <laughs> come down. <laughs> They're going to come down during this podcast. You're drinking coffee. It's Oof. just... We're doing it. We're, we're saying you. anything we can think of. Oh, you're talking about the 98ers. The 98 percenters. No. How do you guys do it? They've never not known the internet. Guys, keep going. They've it, never not known cell phones. It gets worse and then it gets better. Oh. It gets a little shitty again in like mid 30s. It's basically like the stock market. It's going to go down, <laughs> up, down, up, 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 down, yeah. down, down, up. So, right in that shit and tighten that shit. And bear market, bull market, I don't know the difference. Amen. <laughs> Let's hear it, sister. Yeah, there's elephants. There's donkeys. Elef- the elephant and donkey, donkey market. And then there's a bull. Okay. We did it. That was the plot of succession. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love succession. I like to pretend that succession and the righteous gemstones work Uh, in, that they live in the same world because in the last episode I watched of the righteous gemstones, they went through that theme park. Yeah. And I was like, what if this is the theme park the succession family owns? (laughs) And then it's this thing. It's like Sunday night. Are you in the mood for fucking weird shit like gemstones or weird shit like succession? Yeah. It's, they are the same show going in different directions. That's right. This must have been written about on like BuzzFeed already. Yeah. It's got to have been a like, a, like snappy article 
in a snappy world. Send us the snappy article you wrote about the succession. You're right, twenty-year-old. You know, you sit at a yeah. fucking uh, what's it called aggregator and you just type all day. Yeah, and you write an article about this. You're the one that's working the uh, what's it called aggregator. Mm-mm. What's uh, the other computer word that we always like to use? Instigator. It's not instigator. Um, oh, oh, Stephen, you're a millennial. Algorithm. Thank you. <laughs> Our millennial Falcon. Our millennial Ray Morris is here. I'll be here all day. I stole that. Um, you better be here all night, motherfucker. <laughs> you will be all here all night editing this part of the show. No one's ever going to hear any of this, right? No, okay, absolutely. Good. Not. Okay, good. We sound old, and we're we're back, not being able to listen. Think of the word algorithm. Aggregator. A- yeah. Al- yes. Algorithm. Anyway, hey, what do you have? A uh, little news, news, news and reviews, news and, and reviews. Oh well, let's do the business first. Okay. So business people, tune in. Business in the front. Here yeah. we go. And then we'll party in the back. That's right. Uh, my favorite weekend, guys. You're sick of hearing us talk about this. We're still excited about it, though. That's right. So it's too bad. Be, we're fucking taking over Santa Barbara. <laughs> it's gonna be. There's gonna be so many old white people that don't understand what's yes. happening. Kind of sorry, but not really. Yeah. So the packages are sold out. So you can't get like a whole weekend package, but individual tickets are still on sale. Yeah, and there's gonna be a bunch of shows, so you can come to all of them. Yeah. Still. Um, and also we're having a fucking art show yes. for the murderinos that are attending the weekend. So you can submit your artwork for the art exhibit at My Favorite Weekend. The info is in the news section of the website. And for people who are coming or not coming, yes. if you want to come and you're a murderino maker and you just want to fucking sell your wares at our little cute, what's it called? Like a pop-up store? Our pop-up um, shop? Bazaar? You <laughs> can do oh, that. Is it going to be a bazaar? It's going to be snakes. I don't know. Tents and snakes? Yeah. Cool. You can do it. Um, also, info and link to submission forms is in the news section of the website. Beautifully read, Georgia. There are so many people who make such incredible art. If you're in Los Angeles, come fucking drive up for the day. Sell your Please. shit. We like. We'd love to see it. Let's see your knife earrings. Let's see your um, <laughs> your cross stitch. Eat a dick. Uh, anything like that. If you feel like doing it and you want to come up and do it, we really would love to host you and yeah. see it. But here's the thing: submission deadlines are um, October twentieth, so that's like in a couple days. Yeah, you have to actually submit. And people need to know yeah. you're coming, so and that's I, important. You know, you're saying to your friends like, "I don't know if I should do it. And am I? I don't think I'm good enough. And there's going to be so many talented people there. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Just do, do it. it. Don't fucking. Everyone sucks. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. What now, if you're the best one? Yeah, exactly. What if you don't realize that you don't have imposter syndrome? What you have is secret superstar syndrome. Uh. Ooh. Thank you. Uh, I was waiting for some kind of reaction to that. Ooh. What other business? Oh, are we going to do the TV guide of my <laughs> of Exactly Right Media? Yes. Um, let's see. The Murder Squad has a bonus episode up right now. Yes. Where Billy Jensen does something. He, okay. So what he did, <laughs> and this is in conjunction with Billy Jensen's book, Chase Darkness With Me, is being, they're doing these book events at Barnes and Nobles across the land. Ooh. And essentially, Billy went and found a very old murder case and so he, they're going to be releasing clues, and then you get you get to basically work on this murder case and try to solve it with the clues that are 
are released. That's fucking brilliant. It's really, really cool. So they have this bonus episode coming out. So the, listen to this week's Murder Squad and um, you'll it'll make sense more than the way I'm explaining it right now. <laughs> it's really um, interesting and cool. And Billy did it all. On the Percast is Channing Apodaca. He's a comedian and he has a fucking adorable cat that I've seen. Mm. That's amazing. Great. What is, do you need a ride, Hap, Karen? Do you need a ride? We're, sh- we're recording it tomorrow. And the rumor is that Billy Wayne Davis is going to make it onto this episode. I've heard that like six fucking no, times. No, I know. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> He's the uh, the Matt Damon of Do You Need a Ride. <laughs> that's right. Um, yo, yeah. So so as far as we know right now, that's what's happening tomorrow. Cool. Um, he has the most lovely Southern accent. It's just worth it to hear. Also, him talk. his stand up is brilliant. It's like so he's funny. just good at what he does. He's one of those. He's one of those comics that like puts in the work. He's on the road all the time. He has the best um, internet posters that he makes. One of them is just a picture of a wolf on a bathroom sink, a public bathroom sink. Like <laughs> clearly, someone went in and took a picture before they caught it for yeah. animal control. Um, you know, he's that guy. Very cool. Thank you. He's a cool guy. Um, and of course, there's the fall line and this podcast will kill you they're coming out with new episodes soon but you can catch up on everything they're so fucking good they're so great speaking of i don't know whatever things um <laughs> we want to plug something that we just found out about from <laughs> millennial ray morris oh yeah that's right <laughs> uh, at the ucb theater which is like a big theater here in la for sketch comedy for improv for just fucking weird shit fun shit comedy shows yeah it turns out i just we just found out that um they're doing someone's doing a my favorite murder the unauthorized musical <laughs> It's going to be on. And we're here to authorize we it. We are going to authorize Whatever it. Whatever it is, we don't know. We put our stamp of approval on it. There's I, no way it's not critical and mean. Hope they don't hate us. <laughs> There's no way they don't hate us. It's October 29th at UCB Inner Sanctum at 10 p.m. Um, Oprah Winfreckle and uh, Michael O'Connor are the comedians who are putting it together. And I'm here for it. Uh, I mean, I'm not so going to be there for it. those both sound like fake names, okay. which means they don't want their names to be going Shit. on to this, which means it's going to be... A scorcher. Oh, no. Well, go let us know, guys. No, it'll be good. I'm sure it'll be fun. Who cares if they're critical? This thing, this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing Look, at this point. Art is art. We support art. We support anybody getting an idea for any reason about anything. And doing it. Except Nazis. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to. So I was just on vacation. Yeah. A wonderful vacation. I'm so happy for you. And then, why no, I really I, am. It did <laughs> not sound sincere. I know I really am, though. You deserve it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I mean you. that. No, I get that one okay. seemed real. Um, but while I was there, I met a truck driver named Andrea, who if I had 1000 guesses of what Andrea did for a living, truck driving would be way near the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but she came up in a, of course we were in a bar cause that's all we did was spend all of our time in bars. It yeah. was hilarious. And, um, she came up and just said, like everybody does, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah. They're always lightly crouching down. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just want to say hi. And I love your podcast. And she was on her honeymoon. Aww. I'm sorry. I don't remember her brand new husband's name. I'm very Chuck. sorry. It was Chuck. Chuck or Chad. Um, or Brian. <laughs> truck or Chad. Ch- it was a truck or Chad. They oh, met yeah. on the road. But anyway, hi to Andrea. Uh, you know, we're glad we could be there with you through your long hauls. And she had the most perfect manicure. Wow. I kept wanting to go, how do you drive truck with the most perfect manicure no. I've ever seen? I have a fully bandaged finger right now. <laughs> and I don't do jack shit all day. And an, an unmanicured finger. So I am impressed. Yeah. It was very cool. Um, yeah, I just wanted to give that shout. Oh, are you watching The Politician? No. 
Oh my god. I have not. You have to watch The Politician. Okay. It's so good. There's a um there's like an underlying um uh Gypsy Rose Blanchard like kind <gasps> of storyline. Oh my. That's so good and it's played by Audrey Deutsch. That is I just want to watch her. Oh. I just want to watch this show. I, well, that sounds... Her. I'm sold. It's a really good show. I've been looking at their... They have a series of billboards on yeah. Sunset that I always look at as I go to the dentist. And they're beautifully done. They are gorgeous. And kind of like compelling where it's like, are those even real people? It's not like that. Okay. It looks super fancy, but it's not. I mean, okay. it is. And it's like indulgent and like a Gwyneth Paltrow because she's in it kind of way. Okay. But then, oh my God. And then fucking... Hold on. Oh, Jessica Lang plays the mom or the grandma with Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Yes. She is fucking incredible. Yeah, she's so good. I love that show. Wow. That's I didn't know watching. Jessica Lang was on it. Oh, my God. Shit. Is this a Ryan Murphy joint? Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. That's part of his contract. He's like, and where will Jessica Lang be uh, right. participating in all of this? The Jessica Lang, Zoe Deutsch char- like characters, the grandma and daughter uh, with, you know, I could just watch them all day. It's incredible. Awesome. Whatever. Okay. okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Wait, is it on Netflix? Yeah. Okay. You'll love it. Okay, great. It's like so your show. Thank you. I need it because now I'm done with both Succession, with the combo shows, the spinoff Succession and The Righteous Gemstones. Get it, girl. They're done. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines and June's journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye
Who goes first this week? Me? Yeah. Okay, good. This is a story that I discovered uh, over the summer while I did my usual cold caves Googling. Mm -hmm. And it turns out this is this huge story in Italy and in Europe. And it's just like everyone knows about it, but I had never heard about it. Okay. Um, This is the cold case disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. Okay. All right. Uh, I got so much information from this from the Toronto Star article by Sandra Contenta. Uh, by an all that's interesting article by Marco Margaritoff and an article at The Guardian by Harriet Sherwood and Angela Gafrida and of course Wikipedia and Reddit. Our best friends. Have to. Oh, I was just going to say really quick because I keep seeing this every time I use Wikipedia lately. Please, if you can, go donate $5 to Wikipedia. Yes. They need it. They talk about it often. It's important. If you could do it, it would help us a lot because yeah. we need to make sure that we can always use Wikipedia. <laughs> the only way we know how. And I swear I've done it. I have too. Uh, I promise. Yeah. You do it too. I do. I'm a good person. Okay. Um, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Sorry. Trust me. Um, okay. So this is the only, this case is the only Vatican citizen ever to be kidnapped. Oh, and shit. So I'm going to need your help with this Catholic shit. Ooh, crack, 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 crack. I'm Jewish and I don't get it. <laughs> of course, young people go missing all the time, all over the fucking world. Um, this tragic cold case is one of many. Yes. I want to make that clear. Um, but it's, become one of Italy's most enduring mysteries and has yield, yielded tons of conspiracy theories over the years with some involving ties to the Pope, yep. the Mafia, of course, and then fucking Masons. That's right, Karen. It, it, goes goes it all goes all the way to the Lord. That's right. Our Lord and Savior. <laughs> Jesus <Pope>. Christ. Oh, <laughs> oh. Or whoever oh. your Lord and Savior right. might be. It's your decision. It's your life. That's right. So... In June of 1983, 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi had just completed her second year of high school. She's this beautiful, you know, normal kid. Um, she had grown up in Vatican City with her three sisters and brother, her mother, and her father, who was a clerk in the office that scheduled beatings for Pope John Paul II. Did you say beatings for Pope John Paul II? <laughs> no. I wish I had. <laughs> meetings. Okay, meetings. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Many things would work there. He'd but... like to film him. No. Um <laughs> So the children there have this safe, happy life in Vatican City. They uh, have free run of the Vatican Gardens. And according to Emanuela's older brother, um, Petro, they sometimes the Pope would fucking swing by and be like, yo, what's up? God is good. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> Basically, it was a happy childhood. Zion. Yeah. <laughs> to a little. To Christ. Yeah. yeah that's right. And Emanuela was a smart, kind girl. So normal childhood, as normal as it can be living in the Vatican City. I mean, just the idea of it. I know that there is a Vatican City and I know it's its own totally separate thing and all those things. But the idea that people actually live there with children and stuff, I thought it was just the clergymen. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I'll tell you. Okay. So I I didn't know a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Vatican City is a sovereign state of about a thousand people. So people actually live there like it's a state. Okay. Um, And it's ruled by the Pope, obviously. It was declared a sovereign state in 1929 as part of the uh, Trend Treaty between the Holy See and Italy. Yeah. And that's C-E-E-S-E. S-E. That's S-E-E for all you Jews out there because I had never heard of it. (laughs) The Holy See is the Pope, right? 
Yeah. Um, the Holy See is the universal government of the Catholic Church and the Vatican City State is a sovereign independent territory inside of Italy where it operates from. Oh, it's like the Pope's whole government. Yes. Okay. So it's, but it operates from there and Got he it. fucking, oh, he runs this shit. He's the king. He's the president. He's, he's like, all, he's in charge. Jay-Z to New York City. Got it. Runs this shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the Orlandi family is part of a small group of lay Vatican citizens living within the walls of the city state because people have to do like lay stuff like butler and you know gardener and answer the phone and um schedule beatings for the phone (laughs) (laughs) answer that red phone yes the beating will be at noon that's right hang that phone up that's right so there are some lay people there okay okay on June 27th, 1983, 15-year-old Emanuela, who is a pretty uh, and musically talented girl, is in her second year of high school. I already fucking said that. School year recently ended, but she continues to take flute and piano lessons three times a week at a school connected with the Pontifical Institute of Sacred Music. So she's good and she's dedicated to music. She better be good. That's right. At the Pontifical Institute. Pontificate this, bitch. <laughs> uh, she's also part of the church choir at in the Vatican. Like, Whoa. No joke. She's just like talented. Yeah. I wrote highfalutin before I realized what a great <laughs> pun it was because she plays the flute. Oh, highfalutin. Highfalutin. Let me explain this. I feel like your puns come from God because they're so <laughs> highfalutin as an example. Thank you. You're welcome. That day, um, Manuela is headed to flute class. She asked her older brother, Pietro, to drive her the mile long bus. No, to drive her. He's like, nope, I can't do it. They get in a fight. And of course, he regrets it every fucking day of his life. And it's so sad. I hate those parts of these stories. That's right. She instead takes the bus to class. A traffic cop and a constable later come forward and say that they saw her in front of the Italian Senate talking to a young man in a green BMW. But the Senate security cameras weren't working that day, so they didn't catch anything. (sighs) After class around 7 p.m., Emanuela calls home and talks to one of her sisters. She tells her that a man had offered to pay her almost $200 to distribute pamphlets for Avon. Yeah. Um, at a fashion show that weekend. What? So I found people used to just come up to you and be like, do you want a, do you job? a job? A cash job? Yeah, kind of an 83. Maybe, but. Pretty girl. Like, I just need teenagers to do this cheap job for me. How about, how about you apply for a job like at where? The warehouse. And then you don't have to worry <laughs> about getting a job through a car window from right. someone you don't know. I mean, I feel like an 83, that was just like a thing. Maybe. Absolutely. I mean. Yes, total possibility. And who knows? There's so many red herrings in this that, and like some, so many clues that you don't know that they, if they lead anywhere or not. So this could just be a normal thing. Here's the other thing I'd like to call it into suspicion. Yeah. Not a lot of dudes working for Avon. That's right. In my experience. That's my right. My aunt, some neighbor ladies, but it's pretty much a, it's a, a woman based industry. And a $200 is a lot of fucking money. In 83? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just to do a cheap job, you talk about 50 bucks here. Yeah, that's like, yes. I think... It seems sketchy. It seems super... Because wouldn't it be like $1,500 in today's money? Probably. Roughly? I don't know if Vatican money Well, what about Italian money? Yeah. I know. Lira? Uh, Really? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. Uh, She was given... uh, She told him she would answer that evening after asking her parents, but her sister said they weren't home. That was the last anyone ever heard from Emanuela. (sighs) When she doesn't return home by the next day, she's officially declared a missing person. And over the next two days, announcements of the disappearance are published in the Orla- um, published and like like missing posters go up with the Orlandi home phone number 
written on them. Oh, no. Yeah, like call with any clues. So a few days later, a 16-year-old boy calls to say he and his fiance had run, had run into her the day she disappeared. He reports, it's, it's all this crazy shit. Like, he said that uh, they met her at a local square. She They described her correctly with, like, her glasses and her flute and um, told them that she had run away. She told them that she had run away from home and was selling Avon products. So it kind of, like matched up. Yeah. A couple days after that, a man who owns a bar between the Vatican City and the music school named Mario calls and says that a girl matching in Manuela's description had confided in him about being um, a runaway and said that he she would return home for her sister's wedding, which was truthful, and that she was supposed to play the flute in the sister's wedding, which was also true. Okay. So it kind of made them think like maybe she's just a runaway. By July, Rome has over 3,000 posters with Emanuela's photograph and her disappearance becomes a national story. Mm. And like, it's a face that I think anyone in Italy would know as, as like the missing girl. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like a huge story to them. Yeah. And it becomes a national story, especially when on Sunday, July 3rd, during his weekly public Sunday prayer at St. Peter's Square, Pope John Paul II makes a public appeal about Emanuela's disappearance. Oh, my God. And says that she was basically applies that she was kidnapped and prays for her speedy return. And this is the first time that Emanuela's family had even considered kidnapping. They thought she was a runaway. Right. But for some reason, the Pope was like, she's been like, does he have more information than we know? Oh, right. Yeah. So now or maybe he's just hoping like many, many families do when people go missing. Fucking Pope. I'd like this big fucking. I don't know. Maybe he was like trying to turn a slit like it's not. I don't know. I don't know. But that's also it's so heavy that the Pope said something about her. But it's it's such a big deal. It's also the fact that there was the first person to be kidnapped in the Vatican citizen. Right. But I'm saying usually in situations like that, those kinds of institutions brush it under the rug. It's like, no, nothing bad's ever happened. Right. Like Disneyland won't let anybody die on their property type of thing. Yes, exactly. It's (laughs) the Vatican is very similar to Disneyland. That's right. It's good to know that they have better laws there. Disneyland City, as we know, is a sovereign state in, and that the uh, independent territory inside of Anaheim where it operates from. It established in 1923. That's right. Got it. Um, okay. So now months before the kidnapping, a friend of Emanuela's uh, named Raffaella these names probably sound so beautiful when said by an Italian person. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so this gal is the daughter of the Pope's butler, and he to- and told her father that she was being followed by a man um, who had tailed her on six separate days as she rode the bus to school. And this is a few months before Emanuela had gone missing. Okay. Her father had warned her that there was a rumor of a possible kidnapping being planned. And because of this, that this girl, Raffaella, was transferred to a different school and wasn't allowed to leave Vatican City alone. So Whoa. like this might be a pattern. Okay. When the claim is investigated by an Italian intelligence officer, when, you know, the detective comes to fucking check it out, he's taken off the case and given a desk job. Oh. So it might go all the way. All the way to the top. Two days after the Pope's appeal, the Orlandi family receives the first of a number of anonymous phone calls. Uh, One call reports Emanuela is supposedly the prisoner of a terrorist group. Okay. Now, in Italy at this time, um, Italy is the largest communist party in the West at the time. And this is a time of fucking crazy violence and political unrest and like mafia stuff. It's almost like a cold war inside the country, you know, like fighting foreign factions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well as by extremist national groups. Wow. So like not a good time to be there. 
and be be walking around as a teenager. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two days after the Pope's appeal, the Orlandi family receives the first of a number of anonymous phone calls. Okay. Okay. The caller in this one says that in exchange for Emmanuel's release, they demand the release of Mehmet Ali Agha. Um, Mohammed is a Turkish man who attempted, did you know that the fucking, that Pope John Paul II had, was shot? Yes. In an attempted assassination? Yes. And then he forgave his assassin. Okay. That's crazy. It's super crazy. And also that's why when he, when the Pope came and toured America, he was in the Pope mobile that was like, yeah. he was basically in what looks like one of those glass. old trouble where the dice pops back up, <laughs> but he, but a Pope in there. Yeah. Yes. Because, because this, of that. Because of this guy. Because, oh, because so, this guy that actually shot him. So the person who's calling is re- demanding the release of the dude who shot him, who shot him four fucking times yes. and hit him and he fucking survived. He survived. In 1981. So they're saying that they kidnapped Emanuela to um, trade her for this prisoner. Okay. Because he's in prison now. Yeah. Well, don't you think he should be, though? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, why don't. are you on the Turk side? I'm not. <laughs> I'm saying a fact. You're right, right. <laughs> Um, Defend it. He's also the res- responsible for the murder of a left-wing journalist and human rights advocate named Abdi Ipeki. Um, no other information is given, but Pietro, the brother, says when they asked to exchange Emanuela, to us it meant she was alive. So this is like the first time that they are being asked to trade. That means she's like it gave them kind of hope. Being, like held somewhere. Or even though the request was absurd. They were like, it's not going to fucking happen. But right. at least she's alive. Yeah. So, in the following days, other calls are received, including one from a man who becomes, uh, and he calls himself the American, because he's American. Sure. Or has an American accent. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he plays a recording, allegedly, of Emanuela's voice over the phone. He he also wants to arrange a deal for Emanuela's return in exchange for Mehmet Al-Aga's re- release, mm-hmm. the guy who shot at the Pope. Yeah. He says that the calls from the two men, remember the two guys from the day of that were like, oh, she was in my bar and said she was a runaway and we met her in the square. Those were like his men. Oh. And they were calling to um, try to slow down the investigation by uh, insinuating that she was a runaway. Yeah, I was going to say that part of it is like then the family is finding out like she was going to run away. We didn't think yeah. she was going to run away. Right. So they stop looking as hard and they right. are, they're waiting and they have information about her that was like kind of correct. So they could, that could possibly be true. I think it is. Um, but if they were following the other girl that was then not allowed to go anywhere by herself for days and days, right. it's easy to find out stuff like that. If they're yeah. just walking behind and That's eavesdropping. True. And like stuff. seeing where she goes and yeah. her flute shit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the he says the calls from the two men who claimed to see her that day uh, are members of his organization, which is a Turkish extremist nationalist group called the Grey Wolves. Ooh. And like these guys are fucking in the mix at this time too, like fighting with Italy. Okay. Another call from the American dude led to a bag in a garbage bin with a photocopy of sheet music by a composer that Emanuela had been studying. So these are all the, all the, all the like clues that they give. And like, sh- they, there's one that's like, she has six moles on her back. She has all her friends have dark hair. Like nothing conclusively leads like points Proves to her. That she's yeah, with them. It doesn't seem like it. Right. Um, but a copy of her music school registration card was found inside a public garbage bin. But, but it was a copy. So, like, who knows where that came from? Right. 
So in an interview in prison, this guy, uh, Agkad, declares that Emanuela was kidnapped by Bulgarian agents of the Great Wolves. He himself, Mehmet, he claims that the KGB had put him up to the shooting of the Pope all along. So the fucking KGB is in here now. Whoa, God. And that the other, another 15-year-old girl actually had gone missing at the same time as Emanuela did, Mariella Gregori. She was abducted uh, at the same time as Emanuela, and he says it's part of a plan to secure his release from prison. So like these two young 15-year-old girls had been kidnapped for this reason. He claims that the girls were taken to a royal palace in Liechtenstein where they're living in a convent. Over the years, there's been an insane amount of theories circulated in the Italian press and with Italians, like they go crazy over this. I'm not getting into all of them. I would highly recommend if you want to know more to read the article in the Toronto star about this. It goes fucking deep. But in 2005, another anonymous call comes to an Italian TV show saying that the tomb of the gangster Enrico de Padillas has evidence that would help in the disappearance of Emanuela. Oh, okay. So this guy's dead. They're like, look, check out the tomb. Enrico de Padillas uh, had been a leader of the Banda del, della Maglia, Magliani gang, which was at the top of Rome's criminal world. Oof. So they were like the criminal fucking overlords, and this guy was like part of it. In February 1990, DPDS was shot and killed by rival members of his gang and buried at uh, St. Apollinaire's crypt at one of Rome's most prestigious churches. Okay. And all these people are like, why the fuck is this like guy who was in the mafia buried in this crypt. Like, prestigious crypt? Um, buried there are numerous cardinals and senior members of the Vatican and burials hadn't occurred for uh, over a century there okay so suddenly they're opening they're opening it back up right that's fucking weird okay and also just happened to be attached to the building where Emmanuel had studied music ooh yeah okay but Uh, isn't uh, not to please but just sitting back this is a whole case let's go ahead and yeah okay because it's it's such a tiny place that everything is going to be a Vatican City right. and like Vatican. But what about outside of it? I mean, who I don't know. I'm been? just saying if it's close by, yes, right? That's right. It, you would just, it's all kind of connected. Yeah, and it might not mean anything. But the fact that a notorious gangster was buried at the sacred place made everyone go, what the fuck? And so was that not like known until it, this came out? It wasn't known until it came out. Ooh, and okay. Like it had been years and people were like, hang on a second. Yeah, there's something's going on here. Jesus say what? <laughs> there were all kinds of gang ties and e- this like fucking crazy, crazy evil messianic groups like that I'm not getting into. The Illuminati? Yeah, probably. Okay. That deal. Like, I think they laugh at the Illuminati because they're like, that's bullshit. And, and everyone like, knows about them. That's How, right. They're not, it's not a secret this group. This is like some crazy Masonic group that like killed their fucking like banker and shit. Oh. Some banana stuff. Sure. They deal with money launderings through the Vatican. So that all this money's being laundered through the Vatican with this fucking gang, like mafia team. Okay. I don't know what they call themselves. Um, <laughs> it's a team. Yeah. Like soccer. <laughs> yeah. And all kinds of suspicious deaths happen. But basically, it's theorized that Emanuela was kidnapped to blackmail the Vatican into giving back the money it owed this gang that this guy belonged to. Um, and it's said that they did get the money back thanks to a deal cut by this guy, Enrico de Padillas. And part of that deal that he cut was, I want to be buried in one of these fucking crypts. Whoa. Right? Okay. <laughs> it's like adding on a, I know they're going to give me whatever I want. I also want this. Okay. It's kind of a large ask. I'd like to be buried with saints and cardinals. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, 
you got us back $200 million. Oh, true. Okay, you can. Yeah, okay. And we need you to get this money back for us or we look really bad or whatever the fuck. Okay. Um, Deepa Diaz's former lover named Sabrina, she said that she had seen Emanuela after her kidnapping and that she had been held by the, the Deepa Diaz's gang for several months. She also claimed she saw Emanuela's lifeless body in a sack before it was dumped in a cement mixer, oh. I know, on a construction site um, in a seaside town in Rome. But uh, she might be a little crazy. And also the construction site, it turns out, had been built after, no, before. It had already been built? Yes. Yeah. So it didn't, it wasn't credible, but there's some weird credible shit that she has information of. Yeah. But she also might be like, I don't know. Well, they always say that, right? Yeah. That's right. like the, that's right. the ultimate disqualifier. She's crazy. She is so crazy. And that's then right. it's a person just going, I actually witnessed this entire thing. And, yeah. and oh, and then no one believes you. Right. That's very true. Yeah. Anyway, the Orlandi family lobbies the Vatican to open Deepadeus's tomb. Cause remember, they had said that look in there and you'll find some information. They, the Vatican actually agrees to open the tomb, which is crazy. When it's opened, um, on May 13th, 2012, only Padeus's remains were inside. Oh. I know. Bummer. Still, the links there I find very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Very. The most disturbing theory revolves around a concerted effort on behalf of the Vatican, local police, and regional lawmakers to kidnap young girls like Emanuela Orlandi and Muriela Gregori and force them to be sex slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that TV show we watched a long time ago that had similar undertones? New Top of the Lake? Top of the Lake. Top of the Lake. Good job. It goes all the way to the top of the lake. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On May, in May 2012, also an 85 year old exorcist named Gabriele uh, Amorth claims that Orlandi was kidnapped by a member of the Vatican police for sex parties and then murdered. Uh, That's what he says. But this guy is fucking like the kind of guy who's like, Harry Potter is Satan and shit. Oh, you know what I mean? Sure. He claims that an official of an unnamed foreign embassy was involved as well. But he's a little cuckoo, but like maybe like a little bit of what he says is true. Well, I feel like these days when we are actively watching all conspiracy theories come to life in front of our eyes, uh, it's getting easier and easier to believe every theory right. of everything because you're just like yeah those exist yes this this has been proven to be real and the cuckoo people are the ones who actually come forward and don't mind seeming cuckoo by fucking saying these things right all right yeah well we're saying it we're saying it and we're the craziest of all <laughs> another theory says that Emanuela was kidnapped by spies acting for the former Soviet Union and used to blackmail Pope John Paul II into ending support for Poland's dissident solidarity union movement Lekwalesa that was a big thing in the 80s. Really? Yeah, it's a big that? deal. It was just that Poland was basically getting liberated. And I think it was through, like, it got, it was became international news. Like, Walesa was the leader of that party that wow. basically was, basically everyone's just like, oh, yeah, people, people need to have freedom. Okay. It's the kind of thing. It might have also had something to do with communist Russia, but I shouldn't talk about any of this. I'm just basically saying, this is like me talking about old Scooby-Doo episodes, <laughs> except for it was the politics that I absorbed as like a seven-year-old, yeah, essentially. with the news on it all. <laughs> all times, yeah. yeah. Okay. I know this was back when the news only came on oh, right. from six to seven. And your parents left it on. Yeah. All right. Then this last year, the family's lawyer received an ominous note, which contained a photograph of a tomb oh. and an angel who was like watching over the tomb, like a concrete, I don't know, angel. A statue. The, thank you. Oh. And it, sh- it said, then the, and the angel was pointing down at the tombs and the um, photograph said, seek where the angel indicates. <gasps> 
That's straight out of the Da Vinci Code. That's right. I mean, okay. This is like Da Vinci Code business. It really is. Okay. In reference to the marble angel guarding the crypt in question. This clue leads to the Pontifical Teutonic Cemetery in the Vatican, where there's an angel statue that's pointing at some tombs. So plans are made to open the fucking tombs. Really? This is when I, this is uh, where I came in <laughs> with my late night cold case. Yes. Googling. Okay. The, the cemetery normally houses the remains of German speaking Catholic members, but like fucking 1800s we're talking. Okay. So this, so this past July, it's what, October right now? This past July, 2019, the Vatican opens the tombs. Oh. In them are supposed to be the remains of Princess Sophie of Hohenlohe and the Duchess Charlotte Frederica. Okay. In it? Is the remains of no one. No bodies. No one. Oh. Not the princess or the duchess or Emanuela. It's an empty tomb. Uh-huh. Which means people have been taking taken out of the tomb. Right. Right. Uh, after it had been opened, they find an underground space inside the Pontifical Teutonic College, which had been covered by a manhole. Inside of that is thousands of bones that appear to be from dozens of individuals, both, quote, adult and non-adult. <gasps> but they look ancient, but they're DNA testing them now. They're what? currently conducting an investigation into the whereabouts of the princesses as well. Oh, my God. So they basically opened the tomb and a new mystery started. That's right. A simultaneous mystery. That's right. Which people think, like, just goes to show you there's some fucking crazy vatican mystery shit yes going because on they now. don't have to exp- they don't have to explain anything to anybody no there is a rumor that there's a vatican um like a secret museum under the vatican that has like old dinosaurs steven you'll be interested in this like oh like old rare dinosaurs and things that like you know they're like it's the loch ness monster and blah blah, blah, blah. like there's things there that they've never released out yeah. because the vatican doesn't want People the general public out. to know about it and it doesn't fit into their norm of like this is what happened and this is what's going on and yep. here's the narrative and that's the narrative you believe like if you shake people's faith thinking that their faith is smaller than than what actually is yes. people lose their fucking shit that's right that's right not us no not, we consider all options that's right not murderinos we want to know the truth we want to know what's in that basement um there's no basement at the vatican <laughs> <laughs> excuse me <laughs> there are podcasts out there that try so hard to do this for real and we Bless don't heart. god damn it please go listen to one of those after this That's right there's rumors that emmanuel is not only alive and her brother knows about it and her brother is like the, the advocate that's trying to fucking get the vatican to fess up yeah someone is spreading a rumor that she's um, emmanuel is masquerading as his her brother's wife uh-uh. No. So, so bad that one reporter starts stalking his family for months trying to prove the theory. She wraps tape around her finger and stumbles into, um, like his mother, Emmanuel's mother, to get a sample of, uh, her hair for DNA testing and rummages through the garbage at his house and takes his wife's used tampons. Oh, no. It's like this is their fucking JonBenet. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. Uh, he, uh, he, Petra says nothing surprises in it, him anymore. Aww. So the disappearance has been linked to the KGB, the attempted murder of the Pope, the Vatican connection to the mob, satanic orgies, and money laundering at the Vatican Bank, among other things. But ultimately, there's no tangible proof of what actually happened to Emanuela over three decades ago. And although a lot of red herrings and conspiracies may have clouded over the facts. So there's, that's one of those things where there's so much fucking things to trace in places that lead nowhere that who knows what's real at this point. Right. 
Right. Like, who even knows who saw her that day and who's telling the truth? Right. Who was misleading people on purpose? Right. What was real? Also, you know, 1983 is basically like saying 1883 in terms of police, uh, you know, forensic anything or all the, you know, it's almost like they need to go back to the original police file and start there because it's the most simple. And that's usually where the answer is. True. True. But it's also I, I it's so sad to me because it is that thing of like whatever the answer is, it's that the victimization of like a teenage girl yeah. because it's like we'll use you for whatever the plot is, whatever the crime right. is, it's there's an innocent girl and her family. Totally. It's just, and it could just be some fucking sicko who kidnapped her. Right. Yeah. You know? And he's never gonna get his fucking justice. Right. Cause everyone's like, Oh, it's a satanic, whatever. We're just right. like, no, Oh no. What about if there's just a, like a serial killer or serial predator right. that's just doesn't get caught. Exactly. Um, Emanuela's mother, Maria, who's now in her eighties, she set a plate for her missing daughter at Christmas for years after she went missing. Oh. Emanuela's father passed away in 2004. In March of 2013, the first Sunday mass of his pontificate his first fucking Sunday mass. Pope Francis gave a sermon. And after the mass, he greeted every person who left the sermon. He shook Maria, the mother's hand and said, Emanuela is in heaven. To which the brother um, Pietro responded until there's proof to the contrary. I live in hope that she's alive and I hope you will help me find the truth. Yeah. To which the Pope responded, she's in heaven. Petri himself thinks that the um, the Muhammad Ali Agka angle was a red herring, the guy who shot at the Pope. Yeah. He says, I believe Pope John Paul had to weigh the truth about Emanuela against the image of the church. And he made a choice. I believe he knows what happened. So a lot of people think that they could have gotten her back and it could have there could have been some kind of trade, but it would have just oust, ousted so many fucking stories and so many like secrets that... To them, it wasn't worth it. They didn't do it. Yeah. There's also the possibility, because the Catholic Church has a very bad uh, habit and reputation of covering up for priests and and clergymen that just, it's just some local uh, pedophile clergyman that did it and they found out about it and they're covering for him. I mean, it's a proven fact that they do that. It's not, it's not a fucking, uh, no, we're not just saying it. Yeah. We all know we, everybody saw spotlight. We know how things go. Well, Pietro is undeterred. He refuses to stop searching for answers as to what happened to his little sister. And that is the story of the disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. Oh, the cold cases are the saddest. I know. It's really awful. And it's like, yeah, that family that they don't have an answer. So it doesn't help that the Pope says she's in heaven. Right. Because that doesn't prove anything. And they need proof so that they can at least be in a different space than not knowing. Totally. I mean, that's just it's heartbreaking. It is for sure. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, 
Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Well, so what's funny is, can I tell the story of, so Georgia told me last week that she wanted to do the story she just did, but she said, it's all about the Vatican and I don't understand you people, what (laughs) you're doing with your, your big weird church city state. Yeah. Holy see. I learned a lot, by the way. Thank you so much. I did too. Um, as a lapsed Catholic. Uh, so she said, um, what if I do this? And then she, and then you basically gave me my murder for this week. Yeah. I wanted to trade you this for this, yes. but instead we're doing. Oh, you wanted to trade so you could do this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, so <laughs> no, but I'm fine just getting the credit. Speak as if, yeah, you get the credit for no, the no, switch, but fine. oh yeah. Um, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> good to know. <laughs> uh, at it. So, uh, so with Georgia's suggestion, this week I'm doing the Overstegen sisters and Honey Shaft teenage Nazi assassins. Uh, 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 boom, yeah, boom. yeah. This Fuck story yeah. I'm is so excited. Very cool. Um, so I don't uh, even know it that much about it, so I'm really excited for this. Oh, really? Yeah, I just like have read little basic articles. I can't believe that there hasn't been. There was one movie made about it, uh, just about Hani Shaft, but um, I can't believe there hasn't been a movie, and and yes. hopefully there will be because it's really incredible. Um, well, I feel like Quentin Tarantino's movie, what was it called? Uh, Inglorious Bastards, kind of like has some hints of that. It absolutely yeah. does. And it's kind of like the idea of like a fascist to the degree of Adolf Hitler and the insanity and the speed freakiness of Adolf Hitler taking over almost all of Europe. I think it's cool that he made that movie because it basically shows how the people, how many people had to rise up against the Nazis and fight in their own versions of the resistance and be spies. And they're, and before that, they just owned a shoe store. They just were someone's wife or daughter. It was imperative. It was life or death. It was life or death. And it is the kind of thing where people slowly watch this takeover happen, but everybody thought not in my country. There's no way it could happen here. There's a lot of that. Or they were like, yes, in my country. I want this to happen. Right. And that's the scary thing is that there became this dividing line. So it's cool to hear these stories because you we see lots of movies about the brave soldiers and all the people um, that fought uh, against like the Axis powers. And that's all cool. But like teenage girl resistance fighters, Mm. I think, is a story that's so timely and um, and perfect. So I got uh, 
information from Smithsonian Magazine, uh, the Washington Post, Wikipedia, again, please donate $5, um, history.com, the New York Times, um, and then a woman named Sophie Poldermans, I think that's how you pronounce her name, she wrote a book. I found out about Sophie Polderman's book because I stumbled upon in trying to look up, um, a podcast that could kind of succinctly tell, tell me the story. I found this podcast called Inspiring Women hosted by a woman named Kate Daniels. Nice. That is the loveliest. It's like your favorite high school teacher hosting Mm. a podcast to talk about these women that we don't get to hear about as much as we should. I love it. Okay. So. I'll give you, uh, and, and I do apologize. I am not a World War II scholar. Wait, what? You know, this is, a lot of people are going to be disappointed after this. <laughs> this is the mispronunciation episode, <laughs> like Karen and Georgia. This is the let's tread into areas we do not belong. <laughs> let's trade religions. Yeah. Podcast. And just see what we have to say. <laughs> um, but stories that are so worth telling. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Let's first talk about the, this is how she pronounces it on the podcast. So I'm just imitating a Dutch woman who's clearly, yeah. this is how you're supposed to say it. Okay. Pruis. Pruis Overstegen is born on August 29th, 1923. And her younger sister, Freddie, <laughs> Freddie, very easy yeah. to pronounce. Um, <laughs> you, you said that wrong. Right. <laughs> oh, Freddie. Yeah. Um, she is born two years later on September 6, 1925 um, in Scotland. Netherlands, which is a small Dutch village that sits in what is now known as the city of Harlem. Um, so the family lives, the Overstagen family lives uh, all together on a large ship. Fun. Fun. Um, and the sisters are raised by very socially aware communist parents. So their mother makes a point of instilling a keen sense of justice in her daughters from a very early age. So they spent their childhoods doing stuff like um, uh, making dolls for the child victims of the Spanish Civil War. Mm. Yeah. A lot of awareness about like, you know, what's going on with other people and helping out. Um, and both of her parents, both of their parents are members of the International Red Aid, which was a social service group organized by the Communist International. I've never heard of that before. Great job. Communist International. This is research that I'm reading. <laughs> okay. But their parents get divorced um, when their mom gets fed up because the father doesn't work that much and doesn't make enough money. Sure. It's an amicable split. Um, but after she takes her daughters off the ship, they don't see much of their father after that. Um, the family, the now smaller family moves to a flat where they sleep on straw mattresses that their mother makes by hand. Mm. Uh, Fr- Freddie was later quoted as saying that they didn't have much, but her mother always was able to figure something out. Mm. And the family was always singing. Oh, shut up. Yeah, That's come so on. Cute. Sticking together and helping out. Okay. <laughs> Eventually, their mother remarries and um, then gives birth to a third child, a boy. And so now Freddie and Pruss have a, a little half-brother. So now I'm just going to very lightly and very badly explain to you World War II. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me do it my way. Oh, no. If only you could take a shot of Paul Holes' whiskey right oh, now. Could you imagine? <laughs> Essentially, I just tried to boil it. Everybody knows. Uh, we've all watched the History Channel one million times. Yes. Um, but essentially... Read the book Mouse. Or uh, read, read, look at the book M-A-U-S. Yeah. The, the graphic novel uh, Mouse, yeah. M-A-U-S, is uh, from the point of view of a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. It's one of the most incredible books And his I've son. It's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And 
horrifying and what a terrible time. So essentially Germany lost World War One and so did everybody else because there was such incredible loss of human life, unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. Obviously it was called World War One, but it was horrifying. And there's, you know, go see any movie about that because people didn't even know... um, how badly it was going to impact soldiers and the human beings. There was just so much, so much loss of life. So unlike anything anyone's seen before and, and Germany uh, afterwards, it was, you know, there's the whole story of the, the Deutschmark. It basically became useless. They They got humiliated. They were humiliated. They were all poor. Their, their money was worth nothing. It was like, it was terrible. Um, and the problem with that is, and when people are oppressed, um, with poverty, with all those things, then people rise to power who like to convince them that their misfortune, there's a certain group that's responsible. What a great feeling that there's just one group that's responsible for all the things that's happened to a country. Mm-hmm. It and makes it easy. It makes it very easy. And you can, you can, you know, focus all your hate in one direction. It's simplistic. It's, um, and it, and it catches because it's the basest human reaction yeah. is, uh, oh, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Yeah. And, oh, if I get rid of you, all of my suffering will end. Yeah. Um, not true. Obviously, most people hopefully either know that by now or will learn it. Mm. So let's now skip to 1933 when Adolf Hitler is appointed chancellor of Germany. And he immediately organizes a campaign of violence and intimidation against Jewish people throughout Germany carried out by the Nazi party. So according to Hitler, who, as I said before, was on tons of speed, Mm -hmm. um, and that should never be discounted because white drugs are very bad for the brain. Um, White drugs with megalomaniac. Yeah. You're just going to. And with a little uh, art school heartbreak in Uh, there. Oh, it's oh, it's not. It's not good. Okay, so. So according to Hitler, the Jews were to blame for everything that happened to the motherland um, since World War One and even before that, mm-hmm. because d- Jewish people had throughout history had become scapegoats um, uh, for any time there was anything happening in a community. And this is this is something um, like from other stories that you hear where it's like, oh, it's if if young boys are being killed in a town, it's the Jews that just traveled through. They did it instead of no, it's actually a thing called a serial killer that you won't know about for a hundred more years. And it's it's um, I don't have to tell you it's been going on for a while. (laughs) But the the problem here was this his vicious campaign of propaganda, scapegoating and racism. It starts with Jewish business owners, but soon it spreads to all Jewish people. And the downtrodden Germans wanted to blame their poverty and their failure and their heartache on anyone else. And they now had a government sanctioned target. Mm. And this Combined with the comforting yet psychotic fantasy that Aryan blood made them the most superior beings on earth became this intoxicating drug that the nation began shooting up with abandon, thanks to Adolf Hitler. So with these most based hatreds justified and their worst insecurities erased, the violence of Nazism quickly spread beyond its German borders. And Freddy and Truis, who were uh, eight and I think 12, grew up witnessing the inhumanity of the Nazi party firsthand. Mm. Um, they see the propaganda, they see the cruelty, they see the intimidation, and it solidifies their drive to fight for justice. So Freddy, Truis, and their mother 
together, or they're all very vocal about their resistance. They hand out anti-Nazi leaflets in their town, and they deface German propaganda posters that called on Dutch men to come and work in Germany. Mm. Um, so they were they were in it before World War II was even declared. Oh yeah, throw a tag up on that, shit. <laughs> right? No way, say no way as early as you can. Yeah. Um, Freddie's mother begins routinely hiding Jewish refugees who are from Amsterdam and Germany in their home oh, before the war even started. Amazing. In 1934, the girls gave up their bedroom to start housing um, Jewish families who needed to go into hiding. Wow. So in Early 1940, when Freddie is 14 and Truis is 16, the sisters get a visit from Franz Vanderveel. I'm, I'm nailing great. these names. You're doing great. <laughs> uh, and um, he is the commander for the Harlem Council of Resistance. And he formally invites the family to join in the fight. And he explains that it'll involve military training. And the girls are like, we're in Hell entirely. Yeah. Of course, they're very excited about the idea of, uh, quote, starting a kind of secret army to fight the Nazis. And um, the sisters become the first two women to join the then seven person resistance group. Yes. So it's a tiny little group. And these girls are all in. Fuck yeah. And just in time, because in May of 1940, the Nazis invade the Netherlands. And with a Nazi occupation now a reality, the work of the resistance becomes crucial. So there isn't enough time for Freddie and Truist to get the military training that they were promised, but they are taught how to march and shoot in the seclusion of the woods. Mm. So they get they they learn some stuff. Um, and once their training is complete, the teen sisters begin their daring acts of resistance. So um, one of the main things that they were doing was transporting Jewish families and refugees to designated hiding spots. Um, and they were very involved with doing that. And in fact, early on, Truus was in a boat filled with Jewish children that they were trying to ship out of the area. And the Nazis bombed the boat and all of the children drowned. So these young girls, and I mean, we're talking about teenage girls, saw some horrific, horrific acts yeah. of war firsthand that that would then go on to uh, propel them to basically match the horror yeah. um, because they knew they had to. Yeah. Um, so they did things like um, they blew up railways with dynamite. Mm -hmm. They um, planted once a communist flag at the Nazi headquarters <laughs> um, and they rode around on their bikes and it just seemed like they were two yeah. young girls, pretty girls were riding around on bikes. Um, and the Nazis never suspected that they were actually two resistance fighters. And if they had uh, and stopped them, they would have found that the girls were riding around with uh, handguns in their baskets mm. um, because they weren't out for joy rides. They were tracking Nazi targets. Mm. Um, so basically the resistance would name the, a uh, ranking, uh, usually a high ranking Nazi officer. And then the girls would go out and find them and track them and corner them and, uh, basically ambush them, shoot and kill them and then ride away unsuspected. Oh my God. Uh huh. And just 
I will make the point that Sophie makes on the Inspiring yeah. Women podcast. There was no operating judicial system in not in the Nazi occupied Netherlands. Right. So there was it was only it was a Nazi government. Now yeah. they were there. They took over and there was you. Ha- they had to fight them. Yeah. You know, and they had to do something. Yeah, there was nobody looking out for them. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, they built Dachau, I think, in the early 30s. Yeah. So concentration camps were going there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, they were sending almost everybody yeah. there um, unless you were deemed pure white right. and all that shit. But in the beginning, it was communists and resistance fighters and all that shit. Anybody that was developmentally disabled, anybody that was blind, yeah. handicapped, um, if you were somehow discovered to be gay, yeah. they were sending people there, uh, you know, yeah. I think we all know this in all the different ways, but I mean, it was, um, it, it was, I mean, it's ridiculous to say it, it was, was a, it was a nightmare <laughs> or something like that, but I mean, the world had turned upside down in Europe, mm-hmm. um, Okay, so uh, so Freddie becomes very adept at this idea of being able to ride around because she looks younger than every, all, all of them, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, so she was actually the first member of this resistance to kill a Nazi. And um, later, Truist would say about this work uh, that she paid the price that they all did because... It wasn't, it wasn't something that they were cocky about. Right. She said, quote, it was tragic, very difficult, and we cried about it every time afterwards. We did not feel it suited us. It never suits anybody unless they are real criminals, but one loses everything. It poisons the beautiful things in life. Yeah. If you're someone who's fighting for your freedom and for your, and for citizens' freedom, you don't want to murder someone. No. But that's, but you have no choice. Right. You you have no choice, and you're seeing. I mean, you know, we we know what the Nazis did, and just yeah. in the day to day, these are people who came and had had absolutely no humanity yeah. to them, you yeah. know. So, um, but then that then the next phase of the plan started um, as they got a little bit older, which is the sisters began to frequent bars where German officers hung out, and they would get all dressed up and look really beautiful and go and flirt with the Nazis. And um, then they would lure them out into the woods where either they would shoot them or the members of the resistance would be hiding and they would get ambushed and shot. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, that's what you get for being a Nazi. That's right. Um, and so then in the spring, uh, between spring and summer of 1943, another young woman by the name of Hani Schaft joins the Harlem Council of Resistance. So she'd actively been fighting against the Nazis in the Netherlands um, herself. She was stealing ID cards for Jewish residents so that they could be protected um, and escaping and so that they could be protected. Sorry. Um, the Council of Resistance approached Hani because they heard that she had left school be- after refusing to sign a pledge of loyalty to the Nazi soldiers. Her university was forcing all of the students to sign. Oh my God. So she was like, fuck all y'all mm-hmm. and leave school. And the resistance, like, y- resistance is like, hey, Flag. come and join our team. Yeah. <laughs> we need this. Um, so. Together, Freddy, Truss, and Hani successfully assassinate many high-ranking Nazi officials. Um, but 
on March 20. And it goes on for a while so that then the Nazis start to catch on yeah. that people are being murdered and how is this happening? And Hani um, had red hair. So uh -huh. eventually the story starts to come out that you have to be careful of the girl with the red hair. So on March 21st, 1945, Hani is riding her bike, transporting underground papers and a pistol when she's stopped by Nazis mm -hmm. at a checkpoint. And because they all know and have been warned about the girl with the red hair, they search her bike and they find the papers and the pistol Shit. and they realize this is the member of the resistance that's been killing mm -hmm. high ranking officers. They interrogate her um, and they find out that she she is the person they think she is. So she is Hani Shaft. So Hani Shaft is tortured mm -hmm. and executed by firing squad mm -hmm. on April 17th, 1945. She was only 24 years Holy old. Holy shit. 18 days later, the Netherlands is liberated from the Nazis. Ugh. Yeah. So, Hani has, of course, since become a national hero in the Netherlands. Um, she was uh, reinterred in the honorary cemetery Erbegoffplatz Blumendal in the presence of Princess Juliana and Prince Bernard. Her legacy is remembered throughout the country. In, and sh actually in 1981, a movie called The Girl with the Red Hair was made about mm. her life. Um, Truus would go on to speak publicly about all of the work that she, her sister, and Hani did during the war. Um, Truus becomes known for her public speaking and for her artwork. It was paintings and sculptures um, that that she did to kind of process what they went through uh, fighting in the resistance. Yeah. And she also writes a memoir called Not Then, Not Now, huh? Not Ever. Yeah. Yeah, girl. Um, none of the three women ever reveal the exact number of Nazi mm. officers that they assassinated, saying that they're soldiers and soldiers never reveal the number of people they've killed. Whoa. So it was um, a very difficult after the war. Um, the, the sisters had a really hard time. Obviously, they had very bad PTSD. Yeah. They didn't know it at the time. They had nightmares. Um, they had depression. They went through a lot of stuff. And actually, Freddie... Um, she preferred to stay out of the spotlight. She got married to a man named Jan Decker and she had three children with him, which she says is what helped her cope with mm. the trauma of her past. Mm. Um, in 1996, Truas founds the National Hani Shaft Foundation in the Netherlands in Hani's memory. And the foundation works to inform people, particularly young people, about the perils of extremism and fascism to encourage them to actively fight for justice in their daily lives. Lives. Mm. In 2014, Freddie and Truis are awarded the Mobilization War Cross, which is a very high Dutch military honor for their resistance work by Prime Minister Mark Rutte. And in 2016, Truis passes away of, from natural causes at the age of 92. And then Freddie also passed away from natural causes. And it was a day before her 93rd birthday. And she's survived by her three children, her four grandchildren, and their half-brother. And if you want more information about these three amazing women, please read Sophie Polderman's book, Seducing and Killing Nazis. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Hani, Han, the full the full title, Seducing and Killing Nazis, Hani, Truss, and Freddie... 
Freddie Dutch resistance heroines of World War II. It could not be a longer title. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, that is the incredibly inspiring story of three young, young Dutch resistance fighters, Truus and Freddie Overstegen and Hani Schaft. Karen, uh, that was amazing. <gasps> did I explain it all to you, you correctly? Did it great. The World War II explanation was amazing. I loved it. I'm okay, serious. Like, I the- really have watched actually a lot of yeah. uh, History Channel stuff about it because it's that kind of thing of how did this happen? How did this happen? I think it's the same thing with true crime, where it's this crossover of like what what, what what's life been like for other people? I have to know more about it. Yes, I know it's not been what my life is, and I just want to learn whatever I can. And thinking about people who have been. Uh, everybody, every side of victims of war. Yeah. And seeing how, how the, the, the even like multitudes of pain it creates. Yeah. There aren't any winners really. You know what I mean? It's like there's things get maybe rebalanced in a better way, but there's so much, there's so much human cost. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the like, you want that to be like, yeah, I shot a bunch of people. But of right. course, they're just like, no, it was absolutely not like that at all yeah. because they didn't want to be in that position in the first place. Right, right. They, they were doing what they felt they had to do yeah. for humanity. Yeah. And thank God they did because yeah. they saved they saved a ton of people. That's incredible. Yeah. Good idea, Georgia. Thank you. Good job, Karen. I'm so Thanks. glad I didn't do that. <laughs> worked very hard. I definitely am sweating a lot. Um, but yeah. Um, great job. Thank you. What's your fucking hooray? hooray? What's a positive thing? So, okay. This one uh, I actually sent to you. Uh, I believe in a text, mm-hmm. um, but it's our friend Brene Brown. And if you go on to BreneBrown.com, there is a video on there. Oh, yeah. um, it's Super Soul Sessions. So um, it's called The Anatomy of Trust. What's up, Oprah? And right. Uh, Oprah's still doing it for us all. And um, The Anatomy of Trust is this incredible Brene Brown video that everyone needs to watch about if you have trust issues, if you have relationship issues, whatever it might be. It's everybody. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone. And it's kind of, it very much reminds me of how mind blown I was after the vulnerability video. The first one I saw of hers, it's so huge and viral. Mm -hmm. But this one is really amazing about... uh, how to have better relationships, how to build trust and how to be trustworthy Mm. and how that is just as important for you to be able to trust other people as it's like, we always want to go like, well, but this person did this to me or whatever, but it's like, but actually if you can build your own sense of trustworthiness in yourself, which is about, which is basically about knowing yourself and having kind of a centered um, moral view it's just such an why am I trying to no, but I need synopsize it. I it. it and I want and I haven't watched it like you send me stuff sometimes where I'm just like I can't with this right like it's yes. just like too big for me right now I always like to do heavy shit yeah and yes. sometimes like you gave me a really nice like grieving pamphlet recently and I I have it out on my desk and I'm just like I I'll get there when I can get there you'll get there when you need it and then the, I think this is one of those things too where I'm just you're reminding me that I need this is exactly what I want to talk to my therapist about this week yeah it's big feelings you definitely need like a half an hour privately so you can cry as much as you want and as hard as you want or not at all but there's just things in it you just go oh yeah like it's just it's very very helpful and it actually is very kind of like um, it's just kind of centering and calming in that way where if you have trust issues or if you're worried about the kind of relationships you have and the way you have them, 
you don't have to worry about it. You just have to do work. That's all. It's And it's baby steps. It's just like, you just have to kind of become aware and do your best. Because, and that's like, that's why Brene Brown's so awesome. Because she just goes, here's the science. Here's what works. Here's what we, when we do our studies, mm-hmm. here's what we see. And it's really... It's not like any kind of finger pointing. It's more like, ooh, what about a four-step plan to feel better in this way? It's really cool. So anyway. It's like you're talking to me, but you are. I'm talking right in your face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's nobody else. But it's the same thing with like, you know, you recommend, I mean, this is dumb, but you recommend books to me and I just don't pay attention to you. And then I come back and go, have you read this book? I told you to read that book. (laughs) It's this, I think we all take it in when we're supposed to. Yeah. So it's just like, put that in your, put the, you know, put that in your filing cabinet. Okay. See what happens, but to anybody else that's that kind of like is looking for this thing, you can't go wrong on BreneBrown.com anyway. No. Yeah, but that video especially because my therapist has been telling me to watch it for literally three years. Oh wow! And then I finally was like, fine, fine. You gotta have like a daily the, the daily Brene yeah. website where you just post a daily Brene quote for real. Actually, on her Instagram, there's a lot of daily. Yeah, Brene but, <laughs> but she's doing just it. Follow Brene Brown on Instagram. <laughs> Um, that's great. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it finally. Yeah. Do Um, it when you feel like it. Mine was going to be that I finally cooked a meal for literally the first time in like a year. Oh shit. You know, I love cooking, but I just don't have time to do it. And I, it just takes so long. It's overwhelming. It was going to be that. I cut my finger real bad. (laughs) What did you make? Uh, I just made a little chicken and vegetables meal. Oh, okay. Like I then tapped the knife on accident and sliced. I guess I have nice knives. You do. That was going to be my fucking hooray. But then just coming here tonight, I saw a corgi puppy in the parking lot (laughs) named Schmutz. And then I think I need a puppy now. (laughs) So that's my fucking hooray is Schmutz. (laughs) This teeny corgi puppy that just changed my life. I can't imagine anything would be cuter than a corgi puppy. It's, I just stood there and the, the sweet woman was like, we're coming. Do you want to, do you want to say hi to me? <laughs> like a little kid. And it's like, I do. I really need to say hi to Schmutz. <laughs> yes, I do need to talk to she Schmutz was, real bad. She was very sweet. And then you like, she tried to bite my shoelaces. The yes. puppy, not the woman. Right. <laughs> Ma'am, please. I'm trying to talk to your dog. Uh, it was, it kind of was life changing. Yeah, you really were lit up when you came in. Oh my god, I was screaming! You were just pointing toward the door, like, "Do you know what? There was yeah, a puppy outside." I made everyone outside. go out there. <laughs> I mean, it was okay, um, <laughs> guys. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys so much. This is fucking incredible, and we're so lucky. And we still love our job. That's right. It's so nice. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for making it happen for us. And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye, Goodbye. Elvis. Do you want a cookie? <laughs>